0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 6 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC6. This is Secret Church 6, Episode 5. So this is the picture. If we were to imagine the cross as an infinitely precious diamond... At the core of that diamond, I want to invite you to see, look into it and see satisfaction through substitution. God glorifying himself by substituting himself on a cross. And based on that picture, here's what I want us to do. I want us to go to the passion narrative, four scenes, and tilt this diamond a little this way and see the light just shine from it. And then we'll tilt it a little another way in the Garden of Gethsemane and see that light shine. And then we'll go to the cross and see Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we'll see it shine. And then we'll look at that declaration of triumph. It is finished. And from these four angles to see this glorious picture of satisfaction through substitution just come alive. Journey to the cross. That's where we're going. Those four, four different scenes. What does it mean, 1 Timothy 2.5, that's where we're focusing here, as a ransom. Last Supper, Garden of Gethsemane, cry of dereliction, declaration of triumph. Let's dive right into the Last Supper. We're going to do our best to fly through this. We're not going to dive into all of these passages in depth because there's a lot, especially in this section right here. But you know, Jesus having the Passover meal. It was the time of the Passover there in Matthew chapter 26. What I want to do in each of these scenes that we're going to look at is I want to Sorry, I just had a flashback to me waving this thing around, and it's not pretty. Um, three, three components of each of these scenes that I want us to think about. I want us to think about a theme, the key text that help us understand that, and, and the key truth. So the key theme here in the Last Supper is sacrifice. Sacrifice. And then basically we're going to look at, at four key themes based on these four events. Sacrifice, and the key truth here is that Jesus died our death Now, again, feel the substitution there. He died our death as a representative for us. Instead of us dying, he died. The key text that we're going to run through as best as we can, Exodus 12, Exodus 24, Leviticus 16. And then in 1 Corinthians 11 is Paul's description of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament epistles. So, sacrifice. Jesus died our death. Here's the reality that Scripture teaches. We deserve to die for our sin. God made this very clear in Genesis chapter 2. When you eat of the tree, fruit from the tree, you will surely die. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sin. On the cross, Jesus sacrificed himself and died in our place. He gave himself up for us. He sacrificed himself, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Now, you know, the picture of sacrifice goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back, even, I mentioned Exodus 12 there, but you even go back to Genesis 22, patriarchs. Ever since before that, you've got a picture in Cain and Abel of sacrifice, being offered to God and man's sin. Even in Genesis 3, you've got Adam and Eve, as soon as they sin, an animal is sacrificed to provide covering for them. And so what you've got is sacrifice from the very beginning of Scripture, a dominant theme. And you've got substitutionary sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22. Remember, Abraham and his son. Audience participation part of our program. Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac is, God says, Abraham, take Isaac up on Mount Moriah and you sacrifice your son. What's What's the point here? Why does God tell Abraham to do that? Abraham takes it up in obedience, takes his son up and raises the knife above him. At that moment, God intervenes and he says, no, do not sacrifice, kill your son. Instead, I will provide a ram in the thicket. You take the ram and you sacrifice the ram instead of your son. Substitution, sacrifice, Genesis chapter 22. From the very beginning, and if you were an Israelite, Listening to that story as it's passed down, you identify yourself with Isaac. Isaac is the lineage of Abraham, the son of Abraham, the promised line of Abraham. If Isaac is gone, the line of Abraham is gone. That's the tension, the climax there in that story as the knife is raised over the lineage of of the people of God. And God says, I will preserve my people by providing a sacrifice for them. That's the picture in Genesis 22. Then go to Exodus chapter 12. And go ahead and turn with me. Well, actually, I've got most of the scriptures mentioned here, uh, so you you don't have to turn there. But the picture of the Passover. And I put Matthew 26 and John 19 very intentionally here because the week of... Jesus' crucifixion was the week of the Passover. John, and there's a little bit of discrepancy when you compare the uh, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke with John. But John is intentional to show us in John 19, 14, it was the day of preparation of Passover about the sixth hour. So John is intentional to show us that at the time Jesus was being sacrificed on the cross, at the time of the sacrifice of the Passover, Old Testament, what we've got in Exodus chapter 12, you remember God's people were slaves in Egypt. Nine different plagues demonstrating his glory to the people of Egypt. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians not getting it. And So the tenth plague comes. And what happens is, God says, I'm going to go throughout Egypt. And I'm going to go to every home, Egyptian home and Israelite home. And I am going to strike down the firstborn son in every home. I will pass over your home if you take a lamb without blemish. You bring it into your home for a few days, and then you sacrifice it. And you take the blood of that lamb, and you put it over the doorpost of your home. And when I see the blood over the doorpost of your home, I will pass over. And that's that's the picture in Exodus chapter 12. It's a picture that is celebrated every single year after that in the Passover. So what are we seeing about God in this picture? Three pictures of God. He is the almighty judge. He says in Exodus 12, 12, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. He's the judge. He's the gracious savior. He will save these homes. And he's the faithful provider. I will provide a way out. I will provide you with a lamb and you will take the blood of the lamb and put it over your doorpost. And you will commemorate my faithfulness to you because I will do what I've promised and deliver you out of slavery in Egypt. There's two acts of deliverance that are going on here. Number one is deliverance from the rulers of Egypt. They've been slaves there for hundreds of years and they're being delivered out of that. God has heard their cries, see their suffering, is delivering them out from the rulers of Egypt, but not just out of slavery. their deliverance from the judgment. They're being delivered from the judgment of God. This is what's interesting. When you look at the other plagues, there are some of those plagues that God just brought on the Egyptians. He's bringing this judgment on Egyptian and Israelite alike. It doesn't matter who you are. If you don't have blood over your doorpost, then the firstborn son is being struck down. And so they're being delivered from the rulers of Egypt and the judgment of God here in Exodus chapter 12. And the decisive element is the blood of a substitute sacrifice, a spotless lamb. Take this lamb. put the blood of the lamb over your doorpost. That's the picture in the Old Testament. And it sets the stage for this Passover celebration in the New Testament. As Jesus sits down and has the Last Supper with his disciples in the New Testament on the cross, God is going to reveal himself in the same way as the Almighty Judge. We've talked about this. He's going to demonstrate his justice as the gracious Savior as the one who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's going to provide a way out, faithful provider. Same picture we see of God in the Old Testament, a a pre-representation, a type of what is to come in the New Testament. On the cross, God delivers us from the power of sin, no longer slaves to sin, Romans 6. In our slavery to sin, what happens at the cross is we're delivered out of that slavery, and not just the power of sin, but the penalty of sin. We're delivered from the wrathful judgment of God due sin. And all of that happens because of one element, the blood of a substitute sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And this is where it's really interesting. You see in Exodus chapter 12, that in the Passover, Food must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones of the lamb. That's why John is intentional to show us these things happen so the Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper, we don't say, this is my, Jesus said this is my body broken for you. It's my body given for you. This is an intentional picture here. That John is identifying Christ with the Passover lamb. and That's why the introduction of Christ in the book of John. John the Baptist's words. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ is our Passover Lamb. Now that's Exodus 12. Move forward to Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19. And what happens in Exodus 19 through 24 and 25 is God enters into covenant with his people. When Jesus says in Matthew 26, in the Lord's Supper, Last Supper, drink from it, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What he's doing is, He's hearkening back to this picture in the old covenant, Mosaic covenant. What happened? Overview Exodus chapter 19. God brings his people to Mount Sinai, and he says to them at Mount Sinai, I don't think I have, no, I do have this verse in here in Exodus 19 12. He gives them this command. He says, Stay back in fear, stay back in fear. You put limits for the people around the mountain. And tell them, be careful you don't go up to the mountain to touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God is going to reveal his glory. And the picture is in Exodus 19, God reveals his glory on that mountain. The whole mountain starts shaking, shaking. There's smoke going up everywhere. It's an intense scene. And everybody's sitting back, afraid to go anywhere near it. Because God has said, don't go near it. And what happens is in Exodus 20, he gives his people the Ten Commandments. In the chapters to come, he gives them other laws, rules, regulations. He's entering into covenant with them until you get to Exodus chapter 24. And what we see is God, it's like a marriage relationship. And you can almost picture it, entering into covenant like a wedding. But God is entering into covenant with his people, the Mosaic covenant. And he's promising to bless them and to be faithful to them and be with them. And it's inaugurated with blood. The old covenant people in need of the blood of a sacrifice. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Those people were in need of the blood of a sacrifice because they had sin and because they were unable to obey the law. What happens when the covenant takes place is the people respond and say, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We'll obey, Exodus 24-7. But then I've listed all throughout the Old Testament, we see The people of God turning their backs on God, turning from the covenant with God. And so we come in Jeremiah 31 to the Old Covenant promise. Time is coming, declares the Lord. This is what Jeremiah tells us. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband of them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of me to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's what was promised. This is a new covenant that's coming. And what we see in Christ is that new covenant inaugurated, new covenant fulfillment. Spirit testifies about this. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. This is Hebrews 10 giving us a picture. I will put my laws in their hearts, write them on their minds. It's exactly what Jeremiah had said. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. How? New covenant people. Old covenant people in need of the blood of sacrifice. New covenant people forgiven by the blood of a sacrifice. Forgiven by the blood of a sacrifice. Old covenant people unable to obey the law. New covenant people enabled to obey the law. Christ is covered over their sins and he dwells in them and he changes them from the inside out. And the new covenant invitation, remember old covenant? Stay away from the presence of God. Stay back in fear. New covenant invitation, draw near in faith. Brothers and sisters, we have this confidence to enter the throne of the most holy place, most holy God, and we can go there any time we want because of the blood of a new covenant. That's what Hebrews 10 is all about. Now, Exodus sets up the picture of Leviticus. We're just running through Old Testament history here. Exodus sets up the picture of Leviticus because in a covenant, God said, I'm going to dwell with you. And I'm going to live with you. But how can a holy God dwell with a sinful people? And Leviticus answers that question by saying, be a sacrifice. There must be sacrifices to atone for sins. Heart of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 16, once a day, the day of what? Atonement. The day of atonement, Leviticus chapter 16. What we have is a lasting ordinance. On the 10th day of the 7th month, you must deny yourselves, not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you, before the Lord, you will then be clean from all your sins. So here's what happened. In the Old Testament, what we have is an old covenant provision, an annual sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, what would happen is a priest would go into, what, what you had was God dwelling among his people and through, in, in the tabernacle. And the way this whole picture worked was you had an Outer court and inner court, and basically at the very core, center, was the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies, you had the law, and this was spelled out in Exodus chapter 25. You had the law, the covenant God had made with his people, and over it you had the atonement cover or the mercy seat. You had this picture of God dwelling among his people. Now, obviously, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But in a special way, his glory is dwelling among his people. The center, ultimate picture of his presence among his people is in that holy of holies, and so once a year on the day of atonement, a priest goes into the holy of holies. The priest entering an earthly sanctuary, the priest would wash himself. This is where we remember: if the priest treated this lightly, like Aaron's sons earlier in Leviticus, he gets struck down. So a priest enters that place, and it's it's intense. History tells us, Scripture tells us, they, the priest would have bells sewn into the hem of his garment so that when he went into the most holy place, you could hear him moving around. And if the bells stopped singing, you knew he had stopped moving. They, history tells us they'd put, they would put a rope around his leg They would reach to outside so that if he went into the Holy of Holies and was struck down, they would be able to pull him out. Can you imagine the intensity of that scene? Sitting outside, the presence of the dwelling of God with his people, and you're listening intently in silence for these little bells because a man is going to meet with God. And he comes out, and everybody breathes a sigh of relief. priest entering an earthly sanctuary, what he would do is the priest would go in and he would take the blood of an animal and he would, he would do this twice. He would do it once to atone for his own sins and then he would do it to atone for the people's sins and he would sprinkle blood over the atonement cover so that, so that when the presence of God looked down and saw his law that had been broken, instead of seeing a broken law that resulted in condemnation of his people, he would see that that had been satisfied in the blood of another. And the blood of the sacrifice sprinkled over as a substitute for the people's sin would atone for their sins. Blood of a spotless animal. And it was a sacrifice that would need repeating. It was a sacrifice, thanks again. It was a sacrifice that would need repeating because they would do it every year, year after year after year after year. They would do it over and over and over and over again. And the effect was, Old Covenant effect, a reminder of all our sin Hebrews 10 tells us, this is a reminder over and over and over again, for the people of God that they needed the blood of another to atone for their sins. So you come into the New Testament. We don't have an annual sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. Instead, new Testament provision, we have an abiding sacrifice in the death of Christ. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Here's the New Testament, New Covenant Elements. A priest entering not an earthly sanctuary, but a heavenly sanctuary. Jesus did not enter into some place that symbolized the glory of God dwelling with his people. He entered into the very throne room of God in the presence of God. Heavenly sanctuary. Not a copy of the true one, Hebrews 9 says, he appeared for us in God's presence. The blood, not of an animal, but the blood of a sinless man. He didn't blood offer the blood of another. Don't miss this. Jesus offered his own blood on the atonement cover so that when God the Father looks at your life and my life and he sees his law broken in your life and my life, instead of pouring out his judgment on us, he sees the blood of another. And he sees the blood has been offered on our behalf. And that's why Hebrews 10 says, our hearts have been sprinkled with his blood and we are free, with a, free from a guilty conscience, purified. And we are able to enter into the throne room of God. And that's a sacrifice that will last forever. New covenant effect, the removal of all our sin. And what Jeremiah prophesied is true. Brothers and sisters, when you trust in the blood of Christ, he remembers your sins no more. You say, you don't know what I did last week. You don't know how awful that was that I did. You are not condemned for that. You are not guilty. By the blood of Christ, you're not guilty. Sacrifice. This is the picture in the Last Supper. Jesus died our death. And so when we see in Matthew chapter 26, him saying, take and eat, this is my body, and drink from this cup, this is my blood, the picture is of a sacrifice. Remember the Passover. We are delivered by His blood. Remember the covenant. We are sealed by His blood. His relationship with us sealed by the blood of Christ. And remember the Day of Atonement. We are covered by His blood. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.com net.